today we get to keep talking about the, the Bible. And this whole series is about how we read the Bible, how we get into it, how we learn from it. And um, today is, uh, we're not at the end of the Bible yet, so it's not the end of the series. But I would say today is the culmination of the series because we're talking about the Gospels. And um, I'll share a little bit about what precipitated us doing this um, series and why we're doing it. I feel like right now in our culture today, um, really more than ever before, there's a push against the credibility of the Bible. Um, we see it a lot on social media. Uh, we see it a lot in, in culture at large. Uh, there's a lot of people that misuse, misquote, uh, misinterpret what the Bible actually says. And it really means that for us as Christians, we need to really know what we believe. We need to know how to read the Bible. We need to know what it means to jump in and be able to read what we, uh, what we see in the Bible and know how to, to understand it and interpret it and apply it. And so that's so important. Just this week uh, on social media, I saw a post by, uh, he was a Christian comedian guy that used to be popular back 10, 15 years ago. And he was posting about his deconstruction journey. Um, and pretty much he said, hey, you can't really even believe what the Bible says. And he said the, the books, uh, the Gospels weren't written by who they said they were. And the, the miracles were added in hundreds of years later. And they didn't really happen. And he said, scholars, you almost unanimously agree on this. And I'm thinking, what scholars are you reading? Because they're different from the ones I'm learning from. They're different from the Bible I read. And he's stating this as fact. And this is getting shared and commented on. And everybody's like, yeah, that's the same reason I walked away from my faith. And it reminded me, and this is not new, right? And I've told this story before. But when I was in college, I took a religion class, a New Testament class, New Testament survey. And uh, first day of class, you know, over 100 students in the class. The, the professor gets up and, and he was an Episcopal priest. And he's like, I, I just want you to know off the, right off the bat, right, that everything you've learned in church, everything your parents has taught you is wrong. You really can't trust the Bible. Uh, the miracles didn't happen. Uh, they weren't written by who they said they were. And, and we really, this was a lot of uh, kind of fairy tale information that's kind of been built up. And, and I'm going to help you understand how to really read your Bible for the history and literature aspect. And, and I'm sitting there looking around at this class, hundreds of people going, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I, and, just, and, and just soaking it all in. And it's, you know, I mean, it just breaks my heart to see that. And I want you to know, I mean, that was 20-some years ago. It's still happening today and even more so. That's why we've got to know what the Bible says, and we've got to understand it, and we've got to understand we can trust it. And so I'm hoping that class, what it did for me, it drove me, it did the exact opposite of what the professor wanted. It drove me into research and studying, investigating, doing my own work instead of believing what some idiot on stage said. Right? It made me go back and study it for myself. And I walked away from that with a stronger faith and more trust in the Bible instead of less. And I would say the same thing. You probably need to say the same thing. Instead of listening to the idiot on stage here, you need to do your own work. Amen? Don't just believe it because I say it. I, I'm just telling you, you get in the Word, you study it, you read, and God will reveal so much to you. 
Now, I read this week that there's growing skepticism about the Bible, especially among young people and even in some of the nation's largest Christian denominations. And and they say it's to blame for the the huge decline of the biblical worldview in America. And and this was uh, said stunning new results from the American Worldview Inventory last year produced by this cultural research center found that the percentage of Americans who believe that the Bible is the inspired true word of God is down more than 21 percentage points since the year 2000. This parallels a similarly steep drop in 50% of the biblical worldview over the same period. It's at the lowest number that's ever recorded right now. And I just share that, right? I think we know this, but we need to be reminded of this. And, and I, I really want to speak to those of you who have children and who are parents of children and, and teenagers right now. This is the world your kids are growing up in. You have a responsibility to ground them in their faith, to give them the resources that they need. So when they're hit by all these uh, competing worldviews, they know they're not surprised by it. They know where to turn. They know uh, what they believe and why they believe it. And so, again, this, I just share all that because th- that's a huge part of why we're doing this series. We want to help you with that. Uh, David Platt said this. He said, the Bible contains 66 books written by over 40 different authors in three different languages over the course of 1,500 years. And together... They paint a picture of one story that revolves around God creating men and women, us sinning against God, and God making a way for the restoration of all things by His grace through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, they all paint a consistent and a clear picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 40 authors over the course of 1,500 years. And he said this, and I agree with this completely. He said, if I took 40 people right now and asked them to write down their views on God, what's wrong in the world, and how it can be made right, there's no way I could get them to agree. Would you, I mean, that makes sense, right? We're not going to, that's not going to happen. And yet, that's at the same time in history with the same language that we have now. We base our knowledge of world history on writings where we have a handful of manuscripts, right? Sometimes a few hundred. But we have over 5,000 full or partial manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. And more manuscripts are found every year, none of which have, have ever resulted in a major revision. There's just a few relative few and extremely minor variations that don't affect the, the theme or the theology of the Bible. And it makes the Bible by far the most reliably attested writing in history. He goes on to say over and over again, the Bible has been proven historically, geographically, and archaeologically accurate. One non-Christian, non-Jewish archaeologist said it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference ever. I mean, I mean, there's just so much evidence, both inside the Bible, both outside the Bible, outside of Christianity, that points back and shows us that we can trust what we have. And not only that, the Bible contains thousands of Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled with unbelievable, unbelievable precision. I mean, the, the, the odds of that are astronomically. I mean, there, there's no way that that could be that could happen any other way than supernaturally. 
And I just share all that to say, you, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not this blind trust. It's not a, hey, maybe I hope this all works. We have so much evidence that we can stand up on and say, this is true, and I know what I believe, and, and I can have faith in it. And so I just share that because, you know, that's the world we live in. And so what's happened? I think what we're seeing happen right now is what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. This is what Paul says. He said, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, uh, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. And what Paul is saying, there's coming a time where people are only going to listen to those who they want to hear from. And that's what we see right now. And I'm telling you, you can go online and you will find someone that shares something that you, you can make. That somebody is sharing whatever you want to hear. If you want to hear, I, 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 you know, if you say, I, 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 I want to be able to do whatever it is, fill in the blank. You're going to find someone that gives you permission to do that. And twists and and subverts the Bible to do that. So those people are out there. We've got to be careful in what we read. I love the message paraphrase. It says this. It says, you're going to find that there be times when people have no stomach for solid teaching, but they will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. And I think that's exactly what we see around us right now. And what we need, we need some good news. And this morning, I've got some good news. Because that's exactly what we're talking about, the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, we're talking about the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel, uh, we get from the Greek word evangelion, which uh, we get the word evangelize from. But literally, it just means the good news. It's the good news. It's, it's, it was typically used as an announcement of a new king. It was a herald, a proclamation of good news. And, and that's the way it was used in, in, in the Greek language. It was the, uh, the announcement, the good news that someone said, hey, we've got a new king. You, you, you need to hear about this. And so when we talk about the gospel message, it's the good news that we have a new king. It's the good news that Jesus has come for us. And so the Gospels are where we find in the Bible so many of the stories about Jesus. Uh, Each Gospel is about the same main character, but they all share some common elements. And so you see that they talk about Jesus being divine, being God in the flesh. Then we see his miracles, his teachings. Then we see how he was betrayed, how he was put on trial, and how he was crucified. And then we see how he came back. He was resurrected from the dead. And and then he gave encouragement to us as his followers on how to uh, follow after him. And and that's the pattern we see in each of the Gospels. Last week, we um, talked about this new covenant that God had promised. 
that, that he would give his spirit to his people, that he would write his law on their hearts, um, that they would be able to obey him um, because they, they actually knew him. And, and so it was it, this whole new covenant, the New Testament, it literally means the new covenant. And so now we find ourselves, we've said through this whole series that the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Today we get to talk about Jesus. And I, I love it. Uh, so when Jesus arrived on the scene, the people, they're still looking for a Messiah. The Romans had ruled over Israel. We see they no longer had a king on the throne. There was no king from the line of David. Uh, they were a people that had, had not heard from God in over 400 years. The 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, they thought God had abandoned them. And so the teachers of the day were asking, why is God letting this happen? Why, what do we need to do about it? When will the kingdom of Israel be restored? And so the first point today, if you're following along, is simply this announcement. The gospel is the good news that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who has come to reconcile us to God. Uh, for the people in the first century, this was the good news. God has not forgotten you. God has come. This long-awaited Messiah that has been prophesied about. The whole law and the prophets looked forward to this Messiah that would come and make things right. That Messiah has now come, and his name is Jesus. And he has come to, to, to reconcile us, to make things right between us and God. And so when Jesus came, he, he was sent by God to die as a substitute for our sins so that all who repent and believe on him would have eternal life. And so that is what this whole message today is about. That's what this church is about. I mean, that's the good news. That's what this world needs to hear is that we, all the problems we face, the sin, the struggle, the uh, the separation from God that we encounter, we can be made right, and it's only through Jesus Christ. And so this word gospel, it literally means this proclamation, this good news. The four gospels all tell this unique perspective of the same story. They all tell us that Jesus is the, the Messiah who, is, who has come to fulfill all of the scriptures. In Luke chapter 24, I shared a little bit of this last week. Um, but Jesus appeared to his disciples after uh, the resurrection, and they didn't recognize him. And he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me of the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. All right? He opened up their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem, that there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And so what we see here, he's just saying everything that's happened in the Old Testament pointed forward toward the coming of the Messiah and that's me. This is what you've seen. This is what you've experienced. And you've seen that people can find forgiveness of their sins when they repent. This is the gospel message. This is the good news. This is what our world so desperately needs to hear today. 
But you also see how Jesus is instructing his disciples and instructing us that really we need to read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. Uh, It's not that we throw out the Old Testament now that Jesus has come and say, oh, well, we just need to read the Gospels and Paul's letters. And no, it's like we have to understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises, all these prophecies. It's interesting, if if you got this brand new novel that you wanted to read, you would be crazy to flip it open right in the middle of the book and start reading, right? Because you you wouldn't know the characters, you wouldn't know the the storyline, you wouldn't understand how you got to where you are. And the same thing is true in our Bible. When we flip it open to the last third of it, right, the the New Testament, and expect to know uh, everything and understand everything without seeing the whole storyline, we miss so much. And and I'm just amazed that the longer I've studied and read the Bible, the more I continue to learn, the more I'm continuing to be amazed at how, and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, how they continually go back to the Old Testament and pull nuggets, pull phrases, pull themes, pull ideas from all over the Old Testament. Things that, you know, sometimes your Bible has these little footnotes and says this refers back to Isaiah, or it refers back to Jeremiah, or it refers back to Genesis. And you see these little and that, that's helpful to see all these footnotes. And, and, but there's so much beyond that that we don't even pick up until you really start studying. You can see, oh, this phrase came from this place. And this phrase came, this theme came. There's so much there. It's, it's miraculous. It's supernatural. There's no way that this could have been done on, on their own human ability. And these guys were uneducated fishermen. And yet they wrote one of the deepest um, and, you know, fishermen, tax collectors, you, you got these guys wrote some of the deepest thoughts that have ever been written. It, it's incredible. Um, and so the main story of the Bible is that G- God sent his son Jesus to do what Adam and Israel and we ourselves have failed to do and cannot do. And that is to honor God and, and follow him and obey him completely. John 5, 46 says, If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. He, he's, just, he's just telling them over and over again, right? Everything in this Old Testament is about the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 5, is one of the, uh, another place he talks about this. He says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who, who, who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here is one of those uh, phrases that Jesus throws out that confused everybody that was listening. Like, wait a minute, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they're the most righteous people out there. And you're saying we have to be better than them in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like, yep. Why? Because the new covenant, 
We're not going by obedience to the written law. Now it's, have we really put our faith, our trust in the Messiah who saves us? Because we're, our salvation, our, our, our entrance into eternity is not based on what we do. It's based on what he has done for us. And so I love that this passage is really the, the, the bridge that connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so uh, rather than rejecting the law, what Christ does, he says, we can only meet the standard of righteousness one way, and that's through faith. And so that kind of brings me to my next point. There's one gospel, but it's shared through four different perspectives. Uh, we don't have the gospels. We have the gospel. But it's shared through the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so each gospel was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a gifted person who had particular readers in mind who had a, a firsthand experience with Jesus. And so throughout this series, I've been showing some videos uh, from the Bible Project. There's another one this morning that I wanted to show uh, it kind of gives you a break from having to listen to me on Sunday mornings a little bit. Um, and so let's watch this video and then I'll kind of explain it. So uh, There are four books in the Bible that are ancient biographies of Jesus. The Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while individual stories about Jesus and his teachings are familiar to many people, these books have way more to offer if we read them from beginning to end and see how they connect Jesus' story into the overall biblical storyline. So let's talk about how to read the gospel. First of all, this word gospel, what does it mean? Well, it means good news. Which raises the question, good news about what? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus enters the story announcing that the time is fulfilled. God's kingdom has come near, so turn around and trust this good news. So the good news is about God's kingdom arriving, but what does that mean? Well, it's Jesus' way of summarizing the whole biblical story that leads up to himself. The whole story. Okay, give me the short version. Well, the story begins with God creating a good world and then appointing humanity as his representatives to rule it. But then the humans rebel over and over, leading to a world of violence and death. That's a problem. But God's committed to making it work. So he chooses Abraham and his family to restart the project. Then through Moses, God brings the family into a garden land of abundance so that he can restore all of the nations through them. Right, Israel becomes a kingdom with amazing kings like David, but eventually Israel rebels too, and it leads them into destruction. But Israel's prophets said that God wasn't giving up. He was going to personally come and restore Israel so that his justice and peace could spread to all nations and to all creation. This hope was called the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus said he was bringing to Israel. Yes, Jesus' good news is about God's kingdom, the new creation that was arriving to restore humanity to their role as God's partners in ruling the world. This is why the gospel has so many stories about Jesus liberating people from death and disease, along with all of his teachings about generosity to the poor or forgiveness and loving your enemies. He was inviting people to live in God's new world. 
Exactly. And so this is one of the main goals of the gospel, to show how Jesus is bringing the whole biblical story to its fulfillment. So that's why the gospel authors are constantly appealing to the Hebrew scriptures while telling the story of Jesus. Yeah, like when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Matthew reminds us that this was anticipated by the prophet Micah. And he directly quotes from Micah. Yeah, these direct quotes are really common. But more often, the gospel authors weave biblical phrases into the story without telling you, so you can discover it for yourself. Like when Jesus is baptized and God announces from the skies, You are my son, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, if you do some digging, you'll find that God's statement blends together phrases from three biblical texts to identify Jesus as the royal son of David, the seed of Abraham, and the servant who's going to suffer for the sins of his people. Whoa, that is subtle. Yes, and the gospel accounts do this on every page. Every book is constantly showing how all of the biblical stories about Abraham or Moses and David and all the prophets, all of it points forward to Jesus. Now, why are there four different accounts? Wouldn't one be enough? Well, the diversity is on purpose. Each of the four gospel authors has shaped and arranged their stories about Jesus differently so they can emphasize different things about him. Matthew presents Jesus as a greater Moses. And so he's grouped Jesus' teachings into five large blocks, just like the five books of the Torah. Luke highlights how Jesus is God's royal servant from the book of Isaiah who brings God's light to the nations. Mark presents Jesus as a new start for humanity, bringing the mystery of God's new creation crashing into the present. And John focuses on Jesus' claim to be Yahweh, the God of Israel, become human, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Those are really different from each other, but they all tell the same basic story. A man from the region of Galilee teaching this good news but who's ultimately crucified as a criminal. Yes, all four books of the gospel are showing how the arrival of God's kingdom through Jesus led him up to the cross, where he was enthroned as the king of God's new world. He's given a robe, a crown, and a scepter. Right. And as Jesus suffers the consequences of humanity's rebellion, he's showing that the power of God's kingdom comes through his love and self-sacrifice. And when he's raised from the dead, we're watching the dawn of the new creation. So the gospel authors don't just want their readers to know about the good news of God's kingdom. They want them to become a part of it. Yes, the gospel is designed to persuade us to trust and follow Jesus so that we can participate in the new creation that he began. So that's really neat. A lot of stuff there. Um, and, I, and I hope you're realizing, like me, that there's just so much depth to studying Scripture. There's so much to uncover. There's, you, you've never get to a point where you've arrived and you understand it all, right? I, I love how we keep digging. And, and Jesus even, uh, uh, you know, it, it even talks about this in the, in, the, in the Gospel of John. This is what it says. It says, Jesus also did many other things. Um, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So what we have in these four accounts, these four perspectives of the gospel story, this is just scratching the surface of what he did. Uh, it's just scratching. There's so much here. 
Um, it's interesting to me how, you know, this talked about it. in Matthew, Jesus is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he's the suffering servant that was foretold in Isaiah. In Luke, he's the savior of all. In John, he's God in human flesh. Uh, all of these perspectives kind of come out as we read the Gospels. Um, it's interesting also, if you study church history a little bit, uh, you know that uh, the, uh, the Apostle John was the only disciple who died, we think, died a natural death. The, the others were all persecuted, martyred for their faith. John was exiled to the island of Patmos, uh, and we think he died uh, uh, after the year 98. So he, he, he lived a long life and died right around 100 A.D. Uh, what's interesting is he taught a, a guy named Polycarp. And so that was kind of a disciple of John. He spent a lot of time. Um, Polycarp, um, uh, you know, uh, he, 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 was, he was right there with John. They were talking about what John experienced with the disciples. And then um, in the year 130, uh, a guy named Irenaeus was born. I'll give you a little church history here. It's not too boring, I promise. So you see John to Polycarp to Irenaeus. What's interesting about Irenaeus is he wrote a lot, and we have a lot of his writings. So he was, again, was born in like 130. So, uh, so we have here, within 100 years of the life of Jesus, we have all of these writings outside of the Bible that talk about the disciples. And this is what Irenaeus, uh, or, and this is what Irenaeus said. He said, Matthew also issued a written gospel among the Hebrews in their own dialect. Mark, who was the disciple and interpreter of Peter, also handed down to us in writing what was being preached by Peter. And so he's telling us, okay, where did Mark get his materials? He was with Peter. And, and then Luke, also the companion of Paul, recorded in a book the gospel preached by him. Afterwards, John, the disciple of the Lord, who also had leaned upon his breast, himself published a gospel during his residence at Ephesus in Asia. And so here, within a hundred years from, and we can trace the lineage, right, from John to Polycarp to Irenaeus, we have the historical documentation of where these books came from. So when some scholar says, well, these, these books weren't even written by who they said they were, and they came hundreds of years later, I say that's crazy when we have the account right here from, the, and we can trace it. We can trace everything that happened. So I just share that just to tell you, and especially our young people, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean you have to believe it. Amen? This applies to a whole lot more than just things about the Bible. We can talk about politics. We can talk about the news. We can talk about anything you want to. If it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. And so just because a college professor says it doesn't mean it's true. Do the work, dig into it, and find out for yourself. And so, uh, again, in Scripture, we see the, the Gospel of Matthew. Why do we have four Gospels? It was written to the Jews. And he was saying, okay, all of this Hebrew Scripture, Jesus is the Messiah you have been looking for. 
Now, that's what Matthew was doing, the gospel of Mark. He was writing to the Romans, and, and he was saying Jesus is the suffering servant of God, uh, straight from the book of Isaiah that we've all been looking for. And it's short, it's short and it's fast-paced, and uh, he's just giving us the details we need because it was written for a wide audience, and he didn't have to, to prove all of the Jewish theology in it. Uh, the gospel of Luke, it was a, again, the audience was the Greeks. It was written by a non Jewish person to non-Jewish people. And, and so uh, Luke, uh, you know, he's the, the physician, so he talks about the miracles. He talks about the Son of Man who came to save and minister to all the people. Um, the Gospel of John, it was written to the Greek world as well, and just telling them Jesus is fully God. He's fully divine, and he came in the flesh. And John kind of goes all the way back to the creation story in Genesis, right? That's why uh, when John opens up, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us all. He's going back to the creation narrative right at the beginning of the story. Four different accounts, all needed, all necessary, and they're all sharing with us, right, what we need to know about, uh, about Jesus. If you kind of want to get a, a, a feeling for each gospel, read the beginning and read the end and, you, and look for who they're writing to. Look for the audience. Look for, for clues that kind of tell us about the theme of the Bible. So that's kind of all that stuff. That's, man, it, it, I could go on and on and you could tell I can get excited about this stuff, all right? This is awesome when you get into it. I want to just give you some tips on how to read the gospel to, to close out today. And I'll, I'll go through these pretty quickly. The first one, how to read the gospels, look for instructions on living in the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, we, the kingdom of God is announced. The kingdom has come. And, and if there is a kingdom, there is a king. And if there is a king, there are citizens of the kingdom. And so that means we have to understand how to live in that kingdom of God. When we say Jesus is our Lord, what we're saying is we're under his rule. We're under his reign. He is the king of our life. And so we have to understand that. So the gospel tells us this new kingdom has been established. And so it's the announcement of this new king. We have stories like in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, where the whole Sermon on the Mount is instructions on how to live in the kingdom of God. It's an upside-down kingdom. The things that we thought mattered really aren't that important. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the weak, right? All this... Uh, the, all these things that we think were important get flipped upside down. You have heard it said, as he goes on uh, in, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said that, uh, you know, uh, that murder is wrong. Well, I'll tell you, when you hate your brother, you're committing murder in your heart. You've heard it said that, uh, that adultery is wrong. I, I, I'll tell you, when you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. He's given us instructions for living in the kingdom of God. And in Mark, we see the same thing. The, the good news is the announcement of the ministry of Jesus. In Mark 1, it says, After John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. And again, any time you see in this translation good news, it's the word gospel. The, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced, The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is the message we see over and over again. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. Repent. 
Turn from your sins. Turn to God and believe the gospel. That's the message that our world needs today. And so when we read through this, uh, we see all this kingdom language. Uh, it, it kind of gets our attention. George Guthrie in a book said this. He said, so when Jesus comes and speaks about God's kingdom, people sit up and listen. Jesus announces that the kingdom of God, God's rule on earth, has in fact arrived. And some naturally raise questions concerning whether Jesus understood, understood himself to be God's anointed king, the Messiah, who would put things right in the political situation with Rome, right? I mean, people are hearing this and saying, okay, if he's the Messiah, is he going to fix our problems? And so would he be the one to vanquish the oppressors? And, and yet Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom without a call to arms, without amassing his troops to, to rebel against Rome, without apparently being all that, that concerned that Rome is occupying. He wasn't concerned that Rome is occupying the land. And, and so the people were asking, how can God's kingdom be arriving if the Romans aren't leaving? And Jesus answers, God's kingdom is different and offers a new kind of freedom, the kind of freedom that is most crucial for people, a spiritual freedom that requires God's people to repent of their sin and enter into a different kind of relationship with God. And so when we read through the Gospels, that's what we're looking for. How do we understand that we live in the kingdom of God? We repent. We follow Jesus. We put our faith and trust in him. We're born again, as, as John tells us. And then we learn how to live in this new kingdom of God. We're ambassadors. We're citizens of a new kingdom. And so those promises of the kingdom, we see those throughout the gospel. The second thing we need to do, we need to uh, look for the good news. Look for the good news. What, what is the good news? It's the gospel message. We've got to find the gospel in the gospels. Don't read the gospels and lose the gospel. How do we do this? You see a lot of people do this today by saying, well, okay, we've got to do all of these things to get God's approval. We've got to serve the poor. We've got to feed the hungry. We've got to, to, to and those are great things, but we cannot lose the gospel in doing them. Do you understand that, right? Uh, we do those things, but we don't do them for God's approval. We do them because we love God and we want to live in his kingdom. But we, we don't lose the gospel message in serving and in doing. And so one way to do this is when we read the, the, the book of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, read the whole thing. That may take you a few days. Luke's a little long. Um, uh, it's the longest book in the New Testament. Uh, but when you read those books, right, read them from start to finish. Don't just pick a, a story here or there and and so understand, look for the gospel message in the gospels. And when we're reading them, we find out, okay, who is, who is Jesus talking to? Is he talking to his disciples? Is he talking to his enemies? Is he talking to the crowd? Is he talking to the religious leaders? How does Jesus identify himself? What does Jesus say about himself? What does he say about God? And what we do when we do that, we find the gospel message. We find the good news in the midst of what we read. The third thing I'll mention is we need to look for the clear meaning of parables. Um, I think we get in trouble sometimes, and a lot of books I've read over the years will do this, and they'll say, well, in the story of whatever it is, you pick any of the parables, and they'll like have all these obscure meanings and allegory, you know, say this is an allegory for this, and, and I'm like, that's weird. There's a lot of weird stuff out there, right? When you read a parable, it's pretty clear. 
God, it's about God, right? And it's about us in relationship to God. And so let's not twist and turn it to be this secret message and code that has to be unlocked that's going to make us rich or get us wealthy or, or you know, we'll find the, the secret hidden treasure or something. No, it, this, is, this is, look for the clear meaning. Don't get too fancy when you read it. Just uh, find who God is, is represented by in the story and find out how we relate to him in the story. And then the, the fourth and final thing. Um, look for how to respond. Look for how to respond. Um, what does Jesus tell people to do? We say here at Cornerstone when we have a response time, it's like, okay, what is God speaking to you? And what, is, what are you going to do about it? How do we respond? And, and I just want to keep pushing you in that direction. As you read Scripture, you read it and say, okay, God, what do I do as a result of what I've just read? How do I change the way I live in light of the gospel truth that I've read? And so the gospels, all of this, what they do, they're meant to showcase the life and the ministry of Jesus and show us why he came. John 3 says this. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The truth is you either believe in Jesus or you reject Jesus. There's no middle ground here. You either put your faith and trust in Jesus or you reject him and don't believe he is who he says he is. And so we have this choice that we have to make. We have this decision. The most important decision we have ever made. Is Jesus going to be the Lord of our life or are we going to be the Lord of our life? That's the message of the Gospels. That's the message that our world needs to hear. Now, it's getting more and more challenging to share that because people don't want to hear it, but it doesn't mean we shy away and we quit telling it. We're required to be faithful with the truth that we have. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. Will we keep preaching the gospel? Will we keep searching for the gospel? Will we we keep learning what it means to live in the kingdom of God for the king of the universe? The one who has come to save us from our sin, to reconcile us to God, to give us a new heart and a new life. That's the message of the gospel. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, there's so much. We could spend years talking about this because there's everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And so today, Lord, my prayer is that for each and every one of us, when we've listen to your word and we've looked at your word and we've studied your word that you would use it to impress upon our hearts uh, just the assurance of our salvation if we are saved and if not a conviction that we need to be saved if we're if we are apart from you and so for all who are listening all who are here this is a time to examine our hearts can we trust what we read in the bible and We know the answer is absolutely we can. And Lord, I'm so thankful you have preserved your work through thousands of years and and many generations and many languages and and through many people who have used and studied your word. I'm just so thankful what we have today 
points us to Jesus. And so today, Lord, if there's someone listening, anyone listening, it may be today, it may be six months from now if they're watching something online, if they don't know you as their, as their Lord, as their Savior, would today be the day that they put their faith and trust in you? For you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes, it's not complicated. But it's also not easy because it means we have to leave the world behind and we have to follow you. So today, Lord, my prayer, wherever each person listening is, that they would be able to look into their heart and say, "I, I follow Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior, and I'm going to follow after Him. I I trust Him. I put my faith in Him. I need forgiveness of sin, and and I know that only Jesus can do that. That's why He came. He died on the cross on my behalf to take my punishment upon Himself. And because of that, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's That's the prayer that saves us. It's not a magical formula. It's just a cry to God to say, God, I need you. God, I want you. God, save me, transform me, and help me to live in the kingdom of God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.